Welcome to the Hay Kings podcast, sponsored by Vermeer, your expert in hay and forage equipment. Today I'm joined again by Mr. Jeffrey Jackson. He's a regular contributor to the podcast, and I always enjoy having him on. Welcome. Well, good afternoon, and pleasure to be here. We're going to talk about seed today and interacting with your seed supplier. We're getting to that time of year where decisions have to be made. So, where do you want to start? I would say that's kind of a nice way to say it. We're getting to the point where decisions have to be made. And sometimes it's uh part of it goes like this. There's this early order push. And I'm gonna put I'm gonna categorize things. We have traditional row crops and then we have everything else. Okay. You're talking corn soybeans as- I'm gonna say corn soybeans kind of fit the traditional row crop model. And literally, um, being from the seed business and still in the business for 18 years now. They continually like to push earlier and earlier on the early commitment side, right? Yep. So probably a lot of reasons for that. And I would tell you that there are a lot of people that start walking fields, doing some estimates, and they're actually kind of got their ear open looking for a commitment in August, September. Yeah. For sure, October for some of the more traditional crops. Now, the rest of us that, uh, so myself, I work in the forage world. So unless it's corn silage or some wacky forage soybean, uh, those two don't fit me that well. But I used to do district sales manager position and work, still working with a bunch of retailers that are in that focus spot. And obviously the company I represent still does that. But I would say, and there are a lot of reasons why we want to take an order early as well. And, and I'm going to let you chime in as well, being a grower. Yep. So you're going to play that role today as well. Yeah, I'll but, play the grower here. But when you consider why why in the world would I want to commit to something in September, October, November, a lot of times you'll get that comment on the backside, holy smokes, man, I haven't even taken the crop out of the field yet, and you're wanting me to take a look at next year. Well, at times there can be reasons why that's a good idea. Yeah. Most of the time people have walked those fields. You've done some kernel counts. You've looked at its environmental adaptation, if you will, how well it handled the conditions for the year. And you kind of know this is going to be really good or it's going to be a real train wreck. And from variety selection standpoint, you have to consider that there's still some forecasting that needs to be done by a seed company. Oh yeah. How much do we bag? Which variety do we bag the most of? Which one do we bag first? because we're going to have a good pull on demand and, or, you know, there's some of those implications that actually go into it. There's, there's some planning that needs to be done. Trust me, the seed guy doesn't just snap his fingers and stuff drops off a pallet and a truck <laughs> and away you go. Right. Uh, so there's still logistics and planning and bagging and all that forecasting stuff. This yep. really helps. The sooner, you know, the better it is for the seed guy to deliver the product that you wanted because you might have some wishes that come along with it. First of all, you want a specific variety. And then you're going to get into corn seed, for example. There's a seed size, right? You're going to have some, if you look at the ear of corn, 
on the butt end of that ear, there's usually some bigger seed, large rounds, large flats. Then you get into the middle portion of the ear, usually fairly uniform. A lot of these 46 to 50 pound medium flat seed, medium rounds, people just love those. Then you get to the tip of the ear, you generally get more of a round seed and smaller seed. So every ear probably produces a lot of different grade sizes. It has to be graded out. It's gotten better over the years, John Paul, but at one point, uh, I'm going to go back 15 years ago, everybody wanted a 46 to 48 pound bag, 80,000 kernels of medium round and medium flat because it worked so nice in their finger style pickup planters. And when you run out, there's only so many that can be produced. And when you run out, you run out. So the sooner you get your orders in, the easier it is for your seedsman, if you will say it that way, to get the variety the seed size, seed treatments come into play where today there might be two or three different ways that the seed is treated. Again, it's a forecasting, a logistics. How much do we need to treat with treatment A, treatment B, treatment C, a combination of A, B, and C, whatever it might be. Yep. You can add five different SKU numbers just on seed treatments. So again, who gets what? Early bird gets the worm. At times, there have been people that said, you know what, I'm really not going to order any seed till the last minute because they're always hungry to get my business and they'll give me discounts to no end and they want to empty the barn and they got this left over and that left over. And so we've caused some bad behaviors in the industry at times by saying, oh my gosh, we got a bunch of this left. Let's do a big discount right here at the end because then that's going to leave you in a trap potentially. Now you're going to come say, okay, I'm being sneaky. I'm going to get my big discount at the end of the day. And the guy goes, yeah, I don't have any rounds left. Well, what do you mean? I'm an important customer. I need that round seat for my corn planter. Oh, you should have ordered in September. I had plenty of it then. So there's some things to consider. Everybody's got their own tactic, but there are reasons why we like early orders. Now, I'm going to throw the market monkey wrench at you. Right on. And say... Now, we have some expectations around what corn and soybean and wheat prices are going to be because we have futures markets. You go over to the yes. forage side, hell if I know what the price of hay is going to be next year, you got to tell me whether it rains or not. At, at six months from now, you got to tell me, if is it going to rain in six months from now or not? Right. And that's what drives hay markets. Period. End of story. 100%. There are, there's only a certain number of acres that we are going to count on people having a forage acre next year. And generally that's a person that for sure has their own livestock, raises some of their own feed and they know, okay, X amount of acres needs to support me through the winter. I need to have whatever, five ton to 30,000 ton, whatever that number is. Right. We've got to have so much forage. Now, then there's that other side. So let's let's go like a perennial crop first. So alfalfa, for example. I would say that alfalfa orders and seed ordering activity, most of that doesn't really start until maybe October. A lot of people like to try to get the last cutting done, harvest in, different things like that. They'll kind of see how that yield was, what the stand looked like as they were driving across it, because not enough people are going to go out and dig crowns at that point and try to assess the plant health. They're just going to drive across and go... Well, we had plenty of rain, should have yielded better. Let's take that out next year. Um, but there are going to be some people that know I've got a rotation to follow. I'm pretty diligent about it. I'm going to need 30% of my acres reseeded next year. 
maybe on a three to four year rotation. So that seed order could come fairly early. Again, to get the variety you want, make sure the seed treatment you want, the earlier you can order, the best everybody can plant. It's again, it's all about logistics, physical assets, what you can do, what you can't do, where it's located. Again, all that alfalfa seed gets produced out in your part of the world. And then shipped relatively, somewhere else, packaged and relatively shipped Relatively speaking, it's all done in those two states and in Canada, and it all has to come throughout the rest of the United States from there. So the Imperial Valley is where the bulk of the seed comes from, but that's that's a that's a different scenario. We're going to ignore the Imperial sure. Valley for a second and say, if we're talking about alfalfa seed, we're talking about Oregon and Washington. And a yes. little bit of Canada, a little bit of Colorado, Wyoming, but that's that's the bulk of it. Absolutely. So you, you get those people that are on a pretty good rotation. They're going to make those decisions fairly early, communicate the best they can. And partly when you can make those seed purchase decisions and rotation decisions, then it also helps you decide which chemical you need to have on hand. Talk to your distributor about those kind of things, how you're going to fertilize that field, if you're going to do any fall fertilizer application. You might start thinking about that and then go, oh, no. That field I wanted to rotate to last year, I did a residual herbicide in June 13th and the rotation restrictions aren't up yet. Dang it. Yep. Well, that is, that's not okay. going to work. Yep. So all those kind of things still happen and you need to make all of that plan together. Your comment earlier was 100% though. What were the weather conditions mm-hmm. that dictate all this stuff? Because, okay, we went on about a three-year run where the industry was really light on alfalfa seedings. Let's mm-hmm. say they kept predicting 25, 30, 35% less new seeding alfalfa from the year before. So pretty soon you're whittling down new seeded acres really quickly. And part of it had to do with market conditions. There's no question. Yep. Part of it had to do with fall seeded alfalfa. It's so stinking dry. I haven't seen enough moisture to even get the newspaper wet. Why would I want to put alfalfa seed in the ground? You know? So... I use that dumb example all the time. This is my life. (laughs) How much did it rain? Well, not enough to even mess up my newspaper sitting on the step. So anyway, so you don't seed in the fall. You're skeptical that the spring looks very good at all. So you're just going to ride it out. Yeah. If we get enough moisture and it looks favorable, we'll go get some seed somewhere. So yes, weather, market conditions. And then we start getting towards the end of the year and guys start getting a little bit more serious and it is okay. I need to make a plan. You know, you and I were just on a call earlier, uh, well, last week on Thursday talking about financial considerations at the end of the year. Do we use one tax year or the next tax year? Where are things flowing? How do I need to spend money? Do I need to, should I, all those discussions come into play. I don't know how many times a guy, even talking to tax guys, they're like, you know, I get calls on the 31st at 7 p.m. and guys are wondering if I can still email them or if they can still email me stuff before the end of the day, you know? So <laughs> you're in how many times we're, we're past that year end tax management discussion. This is almost a better <laughs> time today. Yeah. We're, yeah. We're just the first part of January here. Uh, this, this is a much better time to have discussions around planning and, and not tax management. <laughs> For this fall, when you have to have that decision. Anyway, there's all of that kind of stuff that I've seen as I, as I worked with different people. The, the earlier you can get the orders in, sometimes there's this prepay discounts where you get 
cash gross ups, 8%, 6%, 4%, whatever it might be, depending on the time of year. And part of the reason people offer those things is so they can plan and make things more efficient instead of being last minute knee jerk reactionary stuff. Let's take a break there and we'll get a word from our sponsor. My name is Rob Flowers, I live in Whitesboro, Texas. The 604R premium efficiency level is through the roof. Dependability and durability on the 604R has been outstanding. We've had zero chain issues, zero bearing issues. The camless pickup has been phenomenal. And at the end of the day, that gives me more time to go home and be with my family, prepare for the next day, get more done. Hear the full story at makinghay.com slash haykings. Now, one of the things that I'm a little worried about is interest rates, too. And you see, I'm asking about things like market consideration and interest uh-huh. rates, and you're thinking about residuals and crop rotations. And you see, we're just coming at this from two di- completely different perspectives. But they're uh, both very important, too. <laughs> uh, yeah, for sure. I, I'm just thinking, my fertilizer guy called and said, you really need to put some fall fertilizer. You have to put fall fertilizer on if you want the yield. Fall fertilizer is for yield. Uh, spring fertilizers for quality. Now we're talking about grass and yeah. nitrogen fertilizer, right? And I said, I only have so much money to spend and I don't want to run up my my operating line and pay that 9 or 10 or 11% interest. That's that's no fun. I don't want to do it. Are you seeing, like, you, you guys surely have some conversations about how do we incentivize producers to carry their seed cost from September through to the spring? Well, so then I think you get into, and I remember hearing this on a call the other day too, you talk about John Deere financing, secure finance. I mean, we have our own finance program yep. now too, right here at Winfield. So it's, uh, you have different finance programs and and at least give us your early order intentions so we can help forecast our stuff. Don't worry about the cash and the money thing, but uh-huh. you know, you there's some that's... of those discussions that happen too. As long as we can get the volume with, that you need, yep. again, that's probably what gives me the most heartburn is when we have somebody with a specific need and it's last minute and it's a, you know, it's an April planting with a April first seed order, and you're pulling your hair. We out. happen to if we just happen to not have that, and we need to ship it from Napa, Idaho and get this or that, or, you know, get a bulk tank going and process something. It, it, it just doesn't happen overnight. So I think that's where having an intended plan and maybe it's an, I had this 80% rule in the back of my head. If you could give me 80% of what your intentions are today, we still have to be able to be flexible because to your point, weather conditions change, yep. market conditions change. I had a, a note on my, my sheet of paper here too, commodity prices. Yep. In in the forage world that I work in, it's what's the price of soybean meal? What's the price of DDGs? Where's the cottonseed market at? What's uh, where are the almond hulls at? Almond I mean, holes, yeah. All of these things play into this seed purchase decision that revolves around the forage supply decision. So yeah, it's kind of crazy. Hmm. But we see these things go all over the board. Again, the earlier you order it, the best supply you're going to get, the best selection you're going to get. Some of the pricing pieces come into play. I I have even seen, how do I want to say this? There are companies that used to maybe have more, more warehouse locations, more assets on the ground. And they said, you know what? We've done some analysis back here. And if we can ship bigger loads from a hub warehouse or a bigger warehouse, instead of having all these little satellite locations... We are going to be, again, 
you don't have the fixed asset cost of the cost of the building. You have less employees sitting there managing inventory, all these other things, ta-da, ta-da, ta-da. Again, so making plans are important. So when you make that last minute call and you need seed tomorrow, it could be a really hard discussion that that stuff is still in a warm warehouse in Texas and you're wanting it in Jamestown, North Dakota tomorrow. It's a tough deal. And then, and then are you sending it's one your thing if you're doing a, Yeah. It's one thing if you're doing a full truckload that you could make a direct ship right there. But if you're a, a pallet or six bags and it goes on an LTL and it has to cross dock 14 times and it gets lost in Sacramento for some reason, instead of going up. That's the voice of experience. I, I've heard the voice of experience speak before. <laughs> Yep. And then six weeks later, they still don't know where that 2,000 pounds of seed is. And the the grower, darn it, he, yeah, had to go make another decision because yep. it just didn't show up. <laughs> so then nobody wins because he didn't get his first choice, his second choice. Probably had to get something off the wall. Yeah. The guy that tried to supply it in the beginning didn't win. I mean, it gets to be a crappy day when yep. we're making seed purchase decisions and we get late. Right. It happens. I'm a procrastinator too. I'm sitting here telling you how I want you to do it, but what do I do? I drive to the local store at the last minute and say, hey, do you have 100 pounds of orchard grass? I want to go do that yesterday. <laughs> now, I would never do something like that. Um, what <laughs> I, I do have, a, I have an agronomic question for you. Please. Because there I was planting some Roundup Ready alfalfa this last spring, and I kid you not, I ran out a hundred feet from done. I was that close. This was uh, 90 acres. So yeah. my math my math, and my calibration was pretty damn close. Yeah, I would say that was damn close. Now, that, that was also 10% over. I should have been 11. Um, yes. Which means my calibration was still pretty close, right? Yeah. I had a couple of bags left over, same variety, but year-old seed. Yeah. Can I use it? How do I like because the my in my thought process, the inoculation on that seed is not gonna yes. be fantastic. But if I mixed old seed with new seed that's inoculated, that bacteria on the inoculated seed is gonna work. Do you have any thoughts on that? You're probably going down a pretty good road right there. And and uh, most times our inoculation comes out with two-year dating, mm -hmm. so we should have two. If it's a, if it was a fresh batch, the year you got it, you're you should have two-year dating on a bunch of that inoculant as well. But to your point, if you kind of blended some of that together and, and they grew together and they kind of rubbed off on each other, if you will, you should be in pretty good shape. That yes. should that should work. Okay. Yeah. Because yeah. I do the same thing on the grass side too. I have varieties that are working for me, right? Yes. I. I have a couple of extra bags. So yeah. when I go and, yeah. and grab the bags from the retail store, which pains me, but I do it anyways. Uh, yes. And I come up just a little bit short. I can just go grab a little bit out of the shop and, and go. Oh, yeah. So oh, I, yeah. I keep right. my own fudge factor. Right on. And germ-wise, I would say alfalfa is one of those wonderful crops oh, that... Forever. It can last for a long time, and it's surprising. One year you test it, and the next year you test the same lot number, and it's 3% better. And you go, hallelujah, thank you. 
No, you can only play that game for so long and then you have to expect the opposite. But right. Yeah, generally we hopefully we get through inventories fast enough we don't deal with that. So since we're talking about supplies, people placing orders and working with your seed retailer. The sorghum world this year is one of those years where I started getting some indicators in August that it might not be beautiful. September, we started to cringe just a little bit. October, we went, oh no. November, they went, yep, we were right. It's not good. Uh, so today in the sorghum sedan grass world in the pearl millets, Literally, it's one of those scenarios where we are expecting to be 25 to 30% short oh. of what we generally supply the industry. Oh, So from a planning standpoint, again, it goes back to if you have a general plan and you think you know where you're going to be and you can be somewhere 80% close or better, Having something committed is probably a good thing because you get down to the last minute and you might not get option one. You might not get your second choice. It might just literally be something in the same subspecies that will turn green and grow. So <laughs> it, it could get that tight this year because there are a couple dynamics in that sorghum world that are just not pretty at all. Now so, that that had to have been some growing conditions on the seed, right? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Sounds like drought to me. Two things. So remember how wet Texas was late May, June last year. Mm -hmm. That's when we plant sorghum. And when you're doing hybrids, you have a male and a female and they don't flower at the same time. So you have to plant them at different timings and maybe you plant the male twice Whoa. so that you get two pollen sheds, right? Instead of just one. I didn't know any of this. So now you get the female planted and it rains for a week and you have a three-day nick in there. Now what? <laughs> mm. So it started in June mm -hmm. when they had planting issues and timing and did we get the male planted at the right time? And so then we kind of babied it along and we hoped and uh, yes, it was hot and yes, it was dry and some wells aren't as good as other wells. So they get short <laughs> and then you run into an early frost on top of late planted seed. Oh. Some of those things happen. Hmm. Sounds like some of those things happened. <laughs> yes. Oh boy. Oh boy. So what I just heard you tell me is the sorghum Sudan pearl millet world is a little short on seed. 2024 is going to be tough. Okay. Fact. Okay. Alpha alpha seed we're doing okay on? I would say general terms really, really good. Yeah, okay. We're long on alpha alpha seed. Gotcha. Uh grass seeds. How are we looking on the orchard grass, the Timothy's of the world? Do you know? I do not have a sense of that whatsoever. Huh. Interesting. Grassman from the Northwest. Can you tell me? How does that feel <laughs> I, in your world? <laughs> uh I, I don't actually know. I have not heard anybody squabble about it yet. Huh. Okay. Sometimes no news is good news. Yep. Yeah. Sometimes no news. Yeah, for sure. I think that's the, again, that's the most in tune I get is those two crops because I spend about 60%, 70% of my life working in those two buckets. So I'm not, uh, I'm not able to help you because we do all of our Timothy seeding in the fall. Uh, yeah. So I, I, I didn't have any troubles getting seed. Good. Well, there's probably, there's probably a reason. It's probably okay because you haven't heard that trickle through your, enterprise or your connections network out there yet either so my my guess is we're doing okay yeah a lot of times it does trickle through my 
my headset a little bit. I'll get some calls from some retailers or some dealers that are wondering, hey, have you heard about this? What's going on? I can't find this or find that. And even though I don't necessarily work on it from a retail standpoint, I still get those questions. Right, right. And that's usually my tip off when a, when a dealer calls and asks those questions. You go, hmm, let me check on that just a second here. And then I've got my phone a friend. Then there's something. Yeah, gotcha. <laughs> yeah, okay. that's right. It's nice to have some some good intentions with those uh, retail people that you order seed from so everybody can make a plan. And, and I wonder too, John, how if there are some some people that make decisions quicker potentially because I wonder how many people work with consultants that are kind of on them a little bit saying, hey, we need to do some crop rotation planning. So do they get do they kind of get poked from a couple of different directions too to get some earlier decisions made? from a planning standpoint, whether it's a guy soil sampling and needing to make recommendations for fertility and well, shoot, we know we're going to plant that field, the X, Y, Z, let's go ahead and order the seed for it. We've already got the plan drawn up. So I, I think maybe some of the people that I have seen or worked with that helps prompt them to make some decisions a little quicker than others. But again, to your point in my world from the, especially the warm season crop world, with the sorghums and the pearl millets and some of that business, there are a lot of last minute decisions made because, you know, a drought can impact it. Uh, a frost event on a pasture grass that started to grow can affect it because now they're going to be short on feed. Let's take a few production acres of maybe it's uh, sunflowers or canola or corn or soybeans and put some more feed in because we know we need that. So. Weather's probably the biggest thing that impacts our seed ordering decision making at the last minute. Right, right. Because it impacts everything. Do you have any sense as to how hay and forage acres interact with corn? Because I, I'm looking at uh, oh, corn futures here, and I, I just, I'm trying to come up with an easy way to think about these things. In the Midwest, when corn, do- when corn goes down, the forage acres go up. They're not row cropping $7 corn. They're going to switch to maybe an alfalfa or something else that they can sell and not be so corn heavy. Well, Sometimes just... it depends on where the soybeans are at too, to see if it just rotates between corn and soybeans. Well, let's look at uh, December contract. Oh boy, right on $5 for corn. And that contract is traded as high as 6 that's that's probably not really good. Okay, and then we're going to dive into soybeans here. I'll pull those up really quick. Then we're going to take like a November 2024 soybean contract. That contract's traded as high as, oh boy, 12.50 and, well, 12.22. That's not terrible. That's not the worst not for terrible. beans. That's not the worst for beans. Okay, so maybe there is something out there to be competitive with uh, forage acres in 2024. That's, I mean, that's pretty important. You go to other parts of the country, uh, December KC wheat trading at 670, and that's been as high as 860. So, I mean, we're, we're almost $2 off the peak on these wheat prices. That's not super sexy, but maybe I didn't think so. Yeah. So maybe, so yeah. In this, in the center, and then you, I'm going to say the Midwest. This is my feeling. It's weird how that alfalfa market reacts. So it seems like when soybeans get high, people will plant more alfalfa so they can grow their own protein or they can grow it locally oh, instead of buying higher, instead of buying higher priced soybean meal. Mm-hmm. Then 
on the, on the flip side of it, when the bottom drops out of soybeans and there's been a decent alfalfa market in the area, people will say, hey, let's plant more alfalfa. We can sell that for X amount of dollars a ton instead of raising $9 soybeans, let's raise some alfalfa. Make and break <laughs> so, even beans. Yeah. So it's it's really hard to even say, somebody's going to come in here and say, that guy, he doesn't know what the hell's going on. But there are times where they'll plant more alfalfa when soybeans are high, and they're going to plant more alfalfa sometimes when soybeans are low. It just depends on which guy's looking at his opportunity in that market. So right, it's kind of crazy. goes both ways. And then you get into the export markets and all that other stuff out there where you're at. That who doggies the who doggies. It, that's that's not a good situation. I wouldn't expect a whole lot more forage acres going in. Maybe a little, right? Mm, nobody's nobody's hoping for a bin buster, if you will, year on hay in the West Coast. So there's an interesting comment made about grinding almond trees, reducing the almond tree. Okay. Acreage. So, the, are those old trees or trees that haven't produced yet? Uh, so, the thing that the Amer- <laughs> the American farmer is best at is overproducing when the prices are high. Yeah, uh, I, uh, I can remember specifically being in California in 2018, 2019, 2020, and 2021, and the almond acres were on everything and going to it like an almost a perfect one to one relationship. Uh, an inverse relationship between almond and alfalfa acres. The alfalfa was coming out and the almonds were coming in. Now we've actually seen that trend stabilize and, and maybe even reverse a little. Now, California at at times has been the largest alfalfa producing state. It's actually taken a little bit of a tumble and, and uh, Idaho and Montana are right up there now. And, ter- and you have to look at acres and you have to look at tons of production and, and balance between those. But uh, I, I think Montana is the biggest in terms of acreage production now. Total tons of hay. Uh, I don't, I'd have to look that up here. I'm going to say when you start splitting hairs between hay and alfalfa specifically. Oh, yeah. Well, we do. I mean, we do have the statistics on alfalfa separate from all the other grass hays. But, Good. And, Good. and then they break out acres the same way. But that's that's government data it's the only data that we have and i've been to places australia where they don't have that data publicly available and i truly believe that everybody's worse off when right when you don't even have a guess out there yeah right on well and sometimes their data is only as good as the input they get yep oh yeah right and you know the thing i love most about the usda data coming out is that it gives us something to argue over (laughs) <laughs> it gives yes. it gives us a starting place for disagreements or just just disagreements that's all there is oh absolutely <laughs> mr jackson i think we've beat this uh seed horse to death get out there and try to plan best you can is the message that i heard from you get close 80 percent's the number that he said start there and certainly if you're in that warm season grass world have those conversations turn off the podcast Finish listening to it. Turn off the podcast and and make the phone call. Yeah, might not be a bad idea. Just saying. So, yep, guys, plan, 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 plan the best you can. Come up with a good idea. Make some phone calls. Get some 
arrangements made and here we go ready for 24 sounds like some great advice thank you very much have a great day Alrighty, and thank you to vermeer for sponsoring the podcast thank you to nick palmary at palmary sound for doing all the audio editing jessica palmary for doing the social media marketing and we have some new products available at hey-kings.com. You can check out a uh, Baylor stroke counter and moisture meter. And if you want to buy work, we got hay hooks for you too, and they're the good ones. Thank you, everybody. Thank you.